With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tough times bring out the best. Oh, and they bring out the worst in you. I have always loved this, and I'm glad we're doing it at the beginning of a show sometime because I don't want you all to miss this. Stupid human financial tricks. These are some of the dumbest things that we have seen human beings do under the heading of thinking, oh, I think I just figured out how to game the system. Forgetting game stopped. And I think that should be a phrase, by the way. You've been game stopped, which means that somebody stuck it to you, but maybe more on that later. So David Letterman had stupid human tricks, and we're going to do these Simply Money stupid human financial tricks because, oh, the things, the, the, the gymnastics that you've tried with money to somehow, you know, beat the system. I mean, doesn't everybody want to do that? Well, let's talk about some of those. Okay, so I love this one because I am a mom mm-hmm. uh, and I get one to put the kids to work, right? But this was a woman in Washington, D.C. And so she ran her own staffing and consulting business, had three kids from the ages of 8 to 15. So still kind of young. And she had them help run the business, right? They they shredded papers, they stuffed envelopes, they copied, they tendered the yard. Um, so she she hires them in her mind, but she doesn't pay them in cash. She right. feeds them. She she gives them meals like pizza, and she pays for their tutoring. And then she claimed those as the kids' wages, as business expenses on her taxes. Uh, and of course, the tax court did not buy it. Right? These are these are normal parental no. things that you're supposed to do, like feeding your kids, lady. Uh, you can't write that off on your taxes. I mean, interesting try, but that one did not fly. But here is it. But there's a flip. Interestingly enough, this is a case of where this woman got too creative. But there's a really. But there is, on the other hand. So let's say we have Amy Wagner Media for a moment. All right. Okay. And you wake up in the morning and you need all the same things that this woman in D.C. did. You needed shredding. You needed stuffing envelopes. You needed some copying. You know, you wanted to make sure that the the the, the front door or the, the sidewalk was shoveled because you've got clients coming over for Amy Wagner Marketing. Okay, fine. You can pay your son or daughter. And I would suggest, by the way, pay them in cold-hearted cash, which you can expense off of your uh, income, and pay it to them. And they are allowed, remember, with IRS rules, your kids are allowed to put up to 100% of whatever they earn into, drumroll please, a Roth IRA. A tradition, you know, they don't need a traditional IRA. And then next thing you know, you have taken this money and you have started to help your children build a financial future. And that is a legitimate way to do it. So and you, you can you can charge you can pay them wages, right. write it off as an, a tax expense, a business expense on your taxes, uh, and then they can put that money into an IRA. Here's my question, though: uh, Her kids are ages eight to fifteen. Like, can you pay an eight year old? Well, maybe you have to go to the state and get a work permit. I don't really <laughs> think so. I mean, listen, I got news for you. There are. Here's the way I understand. First off, 
the IRS is so understaffed these days. The odds yeah. of getting audited is like nil. And I read a very interesting article recently that when it comes to the expertise within the IRS, when it comes to partnerships versus corporations, accountants know how to, uh, and particularly if you're having audited financial statements, accountants know how to supervise and look at a, at a, at a C-Corp any day of the week. Partnerships, most people in the IRS were not trained on how to go and look at partnerships. Some partnerships are simple. Some really, really complicated. Just ask the folks on Wall Street now who are messing around with GameStop. I'm sure they're going to have lots of fun at their partner meetings, okay? So partnerships um, can tend to be a bit complicated. But if the intent is there, I believe you'll find this is this will work. Now, under the heading of, listen, we're not accountants. We just play them on radio. Please call up your local tax professional or your CPA and get a final opinion on Nathan's suggestion so that you don't become a human, stupid human financial trick on the show in six months when we talk about, oh, listen to this guy who tried to write off. But I think you'll probably find that you get a good hearing from your CPA. Next stupid human trick. And we'll, we'll cover this for those of you who had a chance to either learn the story of Alexander Hamilton through the play by Lin-Manuel Miranda or uh, who might know uh, of... Uh, of a case of where somebody tries to bribe somebody after their wife has had an affair. This one didn't work too well. Yeah, this one actually a police officer, right? So he discovers his wife uh, had a bit of a relationship with her doctor beyond the normal doctor-patient relationship, right? So dude goes to the doctor and says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna threaten you with a lawsuit, right? I'm gonna sue you." Uh, and so the doctor agreed to pay twenty five thousand dollars to settle the matter. That's a nice way of saying cop blackmails guy. Right. Who's doing this with his wife? Wife, right? Owner and, bites and, dog. Cop blackmail. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But here's where it gets interesting, because the officer claimed that money was a tax free gift. Right. Where's this windfall coming into your account from? It was a gift from, you know, my wife's doctor. Uh, and the court said, no, 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 this actually has to be taxed as income um, because it was offered to settle the doctor's misconduct is, right. is what, you know. So so who was it? So what was the problem? Here? That the doctor admitted to the misconduct because of the doctor? Because here's the here's the other side. Of, it's funny. I keep coming up with the other side of these rules. <laughs> right? Maybe I was a rule breaker in college in high school. Could you tell? And so, so here's the other side of that rule. You're allowed to give a gift, okay? Just you know, wake up, if I wake up tomorrow and I go, you know what? Joe is so nice. I'm I'm giving Joe ten thousand dollars, okay? You can do that. You can gift anybody in the world up to fifteen thousand dollars. There just can't be. You know, a reason other than the out of the goodness of your own heart. Okay, so, so blackmail so, does not count as a gift. Necessarily. Yeah, unfortunately, we're getting a little creative, a little loose with the term. Yeah, gift we're playing <laughs> we're playing real loose. But you could, if you wanted, and as you think about your own personal circumstance, you know, there, you know, when you give somebody money up to fifteen thousand dollars per person, so you and your partner could give uh, to, let's say, you had kids that were married, you or or not, they're just living with somebody. You could give uh, up to sixty. Uh, $1,000, excuse me, of $30,000 per person or up to 60000 to to the two of them, 15 from each of you, and do that times two, that's $60,000 you could gift, and you wouldn't have gotten into the trouble that this cop did when his wife had an affair. I think, however, the cops got bigger problems at this point than just the uh, $25,000. That probably you will think? cover the divorce bills, and then I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where, where you go from here. All right, so how about the overdose? The owner of a corporation takes his girlfriend and two company employees on a holiday trip to his vacation home on the Caribbean 
in St. Martin. This sounds like a version of the uh, the doctor having an affair at the rate it's going. You want to end it, this story for me? It's going in that direction. So his girlfriend actually, right, this was an interesting business trip. She dies while they're there of a likely drug overdose. Um, her mother, though, sued this dude, sued the owner and his company for wrongful death, and they finally settled on it. $2.3 million dollars. Here's, of course, where this gets even more interesting. Because so, wait a the- so it starts off right, okay? The guy <laughs> does something stupid. Company yes. says, yeah, we're at fault. Yep, as one of our employees. They write a check for $2.3 million, and you think everybody goes back to neutral corners and goes about their business, right? Well, yes, except this is where it gets interesting, and it keeps getting interesting at the point that someone goes to the IRS with this. The company deducts the payment on their federal tax return and says this was a business expense. Keep in mind, this is a settlement for someone who overdosed on property of a company executive. It was monkey business. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But they said the settlement was paid to protect the firm's assets and reputation. An appeals court, though, said "Eh, not so much and denied that write-off. Next time we do Stupid Human Financial Tricks, I'm going to bring the the statistic of just how much money is currently being reserved by the Standard & Poor's 500. That's the 500 largest companies in our country. How much of their money uh, on their balance sheets is reserved for settlements they expect to pay in tax court? I'll bet you if we could get loose with some of that, we could probably write stimulus checks to everybody who really needs it. And I'm going to bet you're right on that one. And we would and and. You know, maybe make it maybe make Congress's work a little easier, though. I'm not quite sure I ever woke up and thought, gee, today I'll make Congress's life a little easier. <laughs> nah, I don't think so. You're listening to Simply Money. We're, we're playing around uh, for a Friday with stupid human financial tricks, things that maybe somebody down the street has done <clears throat> or which might explain how somebody down the street in this case, in this example, shows up with a Lamborghini and goes, hoo hoo, aren't I hot stuff? Uh, probably good friends with the guy who took the uh, women to St. Martin's in our last example and then got in trouble. What did this guy do? Yeah, so this guy's from Texas. Uh, and he got a PPP loan, um, 29 years old. And instead of using it to you know, keep his bankroll, keep his employees in the bankroll uh, to keep him from getting shut down, he went out and bought himself a Lamborghini SUV. Uh, he went to some Houston area strip clubs, had himself apparently a really nice time, bought a Ford 350 truck. And here's the deal. He ended up getting $1.6 million from two companies that he claimed needed that money to get through. They were phantoms. They did not exist except for on paper. In fact, dude even listed as the CEO of one of those companies, someone who had passed away a month earlier, yet it slid through the system. He gets $1.6 million to go on this crazy spending spree. And keep in mind, Ethan, I think the, the hardest pill to swallow about all this it's taxpayer money, and there are small businesses out there going under every single day that are trying to stay afloat because they cannot get their hands on any of these PPP loans. Yeah, so when you take a look at, uh, at how this is playing out, you start to say, you know, and we t- and be clear, we told you going in that we probably could, we should, we could have said as soon as the, uh, the government said they're going to pass out $3 trillion, you know, the next thing that we said here at Simply Money was, right, and we can we could do a whole show every night on all the waste, fraud, and abuse uh, that's going to For the come. next three years, we could probably do a show every night, right, oh, about the ways that people have abused this to money. Do it, if I decided to, to, to do the show for another 28 years, we yeah. could do it every every night. I mean, that's just, that's just how big and bad um, and stupid um, it gets, but, you know, uh, there you go. 
So uh, in December, our government uh, was uh, capable um, of even uh, enabled us to be capable of even more stupid human trips thanks to the uh, stimulus bill. You got any more favorites that would sneak out? Well, I think this is the point that even Washington, right, can pull their own stupid human financial tricks. And that may not be surprising to anyone listening tonight. They set aside funding in the stimulus bill um, for two new Smithsonian museums, the American Women's History Museum and the National Museum of the American Latino. Listen, these are probably going to be amazing museums. I'm sure we will want to go there. We have no problem with museums, but this was in an emergency spending bill, right? Like somewhat questionable. Um, and also in that bill, $25 million set aside for programs in Pakistan, uh, for democracy there, and in gender programs. Again, not questioning whether those aren't, aren't good things for our government to be supporting, but in an emergency spending bill where we're trying to keep the economy from bleeding, get money to these small businesses and to Americans that are struggling, that that might be considered under under the heading of stupid financial tricks. I think moving forward, we're going to have to exclude. We're just going to exempt, retire the prize, and just tell Congress. Uh, I know you guys want to be included because you do so many stupid things with money, and we could do the whole show on Congress. I think we're going to have to exempt Congress. So the disclaimer next time we do this will be: this is simply money's stupid human tricks, and uh, we've decided for the sake of brevity, we're not including Congress. Congress uh, gets the lifetime achievement award, right? Yeah, abs- ab- yeah let's just, <laughs> we'll, just you know we'll give it to Rob in. Portman. He can take it with him when he leaves the Senate. <laughs> Simply Money Point, tough times can lead to some uh, better decisions about your money than some others have taken. Be careful out there. Itching to travel afar, oh, am I so? Well, what can you expect on a Mexican or a Caribbean vacation right now? I'll tell you one thing you cannot expect, me. We'll talk about that just ahead in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. One of the great guitar leads Led Zeppelin ever did. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack along with Amy Wagner. What can you do with your 401k after a job change? Well, what you can do and what you should do, those are the choices. We'll talk about one and not the other. That's just ahead at 643. So the hottest amenity on the beach. I'm thinking, and this is a shout out to a good friend of mine, Ed Edward Paul who mm-hmm. uh, I went, or, or the last time I was able to go on a vacation, I did go to Mexico, and it was an all-inclusive. And by the end of that trip, Eddie Paul had a new nickname. We called him Eddie Colada, okay, for Ooh. the pina, for the pina coladas. Like my and kind so of guy. For those of you who know Eddie, you can just start calling him Eddie Colada, and uh, believe me, he'll let me know soon enough I better stop talking about him on radio. However, that is those pina coladas may have been hot for Ed, but they weren't hot for many of you when it comes to beach amenities. Yeah, the hottest thing to come by these days if you're going to travel to, uh, you know, Mexico or somewhere is a COVID test, right? And these these industries know it, and they're trying to figure out ways to help you get these tests so you can travel. Hotels, airports, and airlines across Mexico and the Caribbean are rushing to get testing sites set up so that they can meet new U.S. entry rules and kind of try to salvage some kind of demand because they've been hit so hard during this. Hyatt, one example here, offering complimentary testing at 19 of their Latin America resorts. Uh, Marriott has on-site testing, or they're going to help you coordinate with local facilities to get tested so that you can get into the country safely and that you can get back out. Because, you know, Nathan, that for me might be that, you know, bypassing 
going through the airports and wearing the masks and being with all the people is getting stuck. Other, in other than all that, wait, wait, wait. Other than all that, what? Of, of just those few things. Then it's you get to Mexico, you have an amazing time. Maybe you do even drink the pina coladas, but then you have to get back and you have to show that you've been tested while you were in Mexico. And apparently there's huge demand. They're hard to come by. They can cost as much as 200 bucks, and results can take days. So that week-long Mexico trip might end up being three weeks while you're trying to get tested and get back into the U.S. It could be a nightmare. It could be a while. And if you know, here's the problem. By the time you come back... If you can't get the test, or even if you get the test, you might have two weeks added under your vacation because you're going to be in quarantine somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in some places, they're making people go to hotels. So, yeah, we'll see how that all plays out. Every Sunday, we have the All Worth Advice column in the Cincinnati Inquirer. It starts today at Cincinnati.com. You can review it. Michael in Campbell County sends the first question that we answered this week. He said his son is 20 and he's joined the military. Did that last summer. Any suggestions on how he can use the thrift savings plan, which I happen to think is a really great plan because it's almost, it, not quite, but almost a color-coded path to investing. It was like if simply money were to set up, right, the way that you could do a system like this, we would be on board with this 100%. So first of all, thank you so much to your son for his service. We are, we're so grateful for that. Uh, and if everyone just can understand the thrift savings account, as Nathan said, color-coded, it's basically a private sector's 401k, right? And it has two main advantages, though, over a 401k. Very, very low expenses. That's great for your son, who's obviously serving. Um, but second, simplicity. Uh, there's there's just five options, five funds, and they're very easy to understand. So, you know, so, I think for those so of you who have a 401k, you understand it's not so easy. Oh, I remember in the days when I used to go to CVG and uh, back when Fidelity offered like 1,500 funds, the people that when I would get my ticket, they go, oh, hey, you're that Simply Money guy. Listen, and then they would reach under the counter and they weren't pulling out like my baggage tags. They were like pulling out go, could you tell me which of these 1,500 Fidelity funds I might want to use? It was I like an encyclopedia, eat? right? I might, yeah. It was like, well, I don't know. Uh, maybe if you, let me take it with me on a plane. I'll bring it. I'll, I'll circle some things and bring it back to you. So the thrift savings plan, which is the government, you know, if you're in public service, you know, you're working at the post office. I started out at the uh, Postal Employees Credit Union many years ago. I was the guy behind the teller line uh, if you went in on West 8th Street. And um, then I, that was the first time I ran across thrift savings plan. And it was great because the first thing the guy, somebody said to me one day, a mail carrier said to me was, okay, so what do you think about the C fund? I'm looking at the C fund. Oh, the common stock fund. Oh, yeah. And it's all full of lots of, like most of the market. Oh, yeah. That's great. He said, okay. And then should I have some G fund? G, okay. That must stand for uh, good. No, it stands for government bonds. Oh. Oh, government bonds. Well, they can go up and down a little, but, you know, just government bonds. He said, well, then what's the difference between the G fund and the F fund? And the F fund my wife always liked because it's the fixed fund, fixed account. She always has been trying to fix me. She thought maybe she could put me inside the account. It would work great. But that was fixed. These are investments. You're going to get X percent for a year. They'll reset I'm going, wow, this is great. So then by that, by this time, I've got the, I've got the, uh, you know, when it gets to the F fund, I'm going, okay, let me guess. This is the foreign stock fund. <gasps> I guessed. Wasn't I amazing? So how simple can you get this? I mean, you can't do it any better than that. And it's got low expenses, right? And believe me, if your son's in the military, I'm thinking about the last thing in the world he needs to do 
is worry about anything except put money away and tell him not to get into any of the bad habits that some of his friends might have, okay? You can actually come out of uh, military service and have accumulated lots of money. Make sure uh, he gets that match, though, right? I mean, there's right. 44% of those in the military right now that are not contributing enough to get the match. And that is a single most important thing that we could tell you today here at Simply Money. So are you loaded up on local company stocks? This could be too much of a good thing, and we'll talk about why just ahead of 634. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrack, along with Amy Wagner. If it was an Italian spaghetti western, they used to call them, the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you have too much stock in your in the place, uh, the company where you work, yeah, that could be good. Procter & Gamble, that could be bad. General Electric, or it could get, uh, I don't know, really ugly if you happen to be Macy. Joining us, Brian James, certified financial planner with the Allworth team. He's a regular here on Simply Money and the topic today, investing way too much of your retirement in the same place where you get a paycheck. So you see this how often in Cincinnati, Brian? Uh, every other day and uh, twice on Thursday. So we have, we're have we fortunate to live in an area where there's a lot of publicly traded, good, strong companies such as Fifth Third, Procter & Gamble, you know, the usual suspects, Kroger, GE, and so forth. And so there's a lot of people in this situation that uh, have uh, done the right thing and saved a lot of money. But uh, those companies are generous in their the way that they give out uh, things like grants and options and those kinds of things for good performance, which is great, except it does mean that you end up with an awful lot of it. And when we hit a time like now where the market's at an all high, uh, which, by the way, that's not something to be scared of. The market is usually at an all-time high. Anyway, it makes people question, should I get out now? Should I do something different? So it's a good thing, but you got to be, uh, be paying attention. Also, though, we talk about a lot, Brian, about the fact that diversity, right? I mean, if you were a General Electric, if you worked there 15, 20 years ago, you thought you couldn't lose, right? You would take all the stock options you can, and the company was doing great. Nobody knows what the future of a company holds, which is why having too much of your retirement in that one company can go really wrong. Yeah, that's a, that can be the right there. So if you look at any of these companies, again, with exception of GE, GE is uh, still out there because they really have not recovered from 2008. But P&G, Fifth Third, and Kroger have been there and back again. Uh, you know, they've all gone through their, their, their various rough times. For P&G, it was, you know, some people out there are going to nod their heads and remember this. It was Dirk Yager in Organization 2005 that fell flat. They lost money on Tide and Crest, and it knocked the stock down about 50%. That was 20 years ago. But it also happened in 2008, along with everything else, and 2014. Fifth Third people, let me ask you this. Amy Nathan, do you know what DYOPN stands for? Uh, um, no, I, I'm, is it clean? 
bring, bring your, own, your own post-it notes. Bring your own post-it notes. So okay. Fifth Third people will remember the supply freeze from uh, 15, 20 years ago when Fifth Third hit the skid so hard that they cut off expenses everywhere uh, they could. And it wow. went from 68 to 2 bucks a share. It's now recovered. It's about $24 a share, but that's still a far cry from where it was. Kroger got spooked by Amazon entering the market in 2015. They lost about 37%, and GE is where they are now. So the issue is not that these are bad investments to hold, but these stocks do not care what your plans are. They do not care that you were going to retire right up until your, your 401k got hammered. This yeah. is the planning part. So you should know what to expect. So, you know, I heard a phrase once about stock, and it certainly applies really well when it comes to how much of a company stock you own, and it's this. Stocks, if you hold them and they do really well, are a great place to create wealth, and they are a lousy place to maintain it for all the reasons that you just mentioned. And if Howard Schultz, who started a little company out in Seattle called Starbucks, walked into your office today, Brian, what he would say to you is, well, Brian, I... Uh, I own actually no stock uh, in Starbucks anymore. Uh, how can you help me with my gazillions? Why? Because he didn't want to have the risk that we're telling you to avoid. Exactly. He, he was trying to protect himself from, okay, I've built this now, and it's become 90-plus percent of my net worth, and I've got nowhere personally to go but down from the lofty heights I've reached. So. Right to a point where it's no longer about being rich. You are rich. You may not have noticed it, but those of you out there listening to this who have a couple hundred thousand dollars of company stock somewhere in your holdings, you are rich, and your job is to keep it that way. So these are things you have to plan for. So we want to make sure, generally speaking, you don't have any more than 10% of your of your financial liquid investments in any one stock, including your employer. It doesn't have to happen overnight for those of you who are somewhere north of there. But it is a goal to get to. And if with the market where it is now, if your company is doing okay, you might look at maybe taking some uh, taking some off the table there and stripping it out a little bit more. This is a good time to consider it. Again, don't go whole hog. You don't have to do it all at once, but it is something to be very mindful of. You know, Brian, we can say diversify, diversify until we're blue in the face, but it's a really difficult thing to sit down across from someone who works for Procter, uh, owns a lot of Procter stock right now, to say – you need to diversify because it looks like Procter can't lose, right? I mean, we just heard yesterday uh, that during this pandemic, we're up considerably. Absolutely. And, and, and what, another thing that people bring up there, P&G is a great example. It's a legacy stock, right? Great-grandpa was on board a million yeah. years ago, or I inherited it from mom and dad or whatever. And those are valid reasons, and that's not a bad company at all. But again, what I always tell people to think about is separate yourself from that just for a second and think about whether you're the person who wanted to benefit you by giving it to you. Did they want you to own P&G stock until you passed, or did they want you to be financially secure? Would they be happier knowing that you took advantage of the opportunity they provided to give you and your family a better life, or do they just simply want to know that you're a shareholder and uh, you sit on the annual uh, conference calls every year? You're listening to Simply Money. Our guest, Brian James, certified financial planner, as we discuss what you are doing with way too much company stock. I'm going to listen. You know, they always say if, uh, you know, when you get in the playground, pick on the biggest kid if you're small. And then, you know, after that, uh, people go, oh, this person must be must know what they're doing. They're tough. So let me just pick on the biggest stock in town. That would be Procter & Gamble. And give one little piece of information that you might want to consider if you own Procter. And that would be this. 
Procter is benefiting because instead of going to the company laboratory, I'll be nice about this, you're going to your own laboratory. So, yeah, we're selling a lot more Charmin than we used to because the Procter is not in the commercial toilet paper business. However, if all of a sudden you start going back to work, certain things are going to happen at work. They used to be happening at home. Your amount of purchases are going down, and that will affect Procter & Gamble, even if they do everything right, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And those are those are big things that, uh, you know, that, that that's just what the stock market does. The stock market is nothing more than an aggregated opinion of what a company is doing day to day. Doesn't matter that long term, it's going to be a good, long, strong investment. And that has nothing to do with, hey, I planned on retiring this coming December, and everything's going to be hunky dory, I'll sell all my stock. Well, that stock may not care. The market may have decided that some decision the company made is not appropriate, and it will it will it will take a pound of flesh, and your retirement may be delayed. So, Brian, you have this conversation with a client who comes in. They work for Procter, they work for Kroger, whatever it is, and they say, "Okay, I get it. Right, I, I might sell some." What what kinds of steps do you walk them through as far as when they're thinking about taxes and selling some of this company stock? Yeah, certainly. So uh, these are great, again, common questions. And so it depends on the format in which you have been given the stock. If it's an option, then you will have to figure out what your original, what they call strike price was, because it wasn't given to you at zero. It was given to you at a certain price, and you're going to sell it at whatever the market price is, and your taxes will happen either in a short-term manner, meaning it's taxed as income, the least favorable, or if it's older than a year, you'll pay capital gains tax on it. It may also be just a form of a grant where they just say, hey, here's a bunch of stock. Uh, no strike price, just here, have the stock, do whatever you want to do with it. Those are frequently vested, meaning you can't do anything for, I don't know, three, five, six, seven years, something like that, depending on the structure. Now, P&G's case, P&G has a special uh, uh, trick that 401k owners can take advantage of there. Uh, it's not, you know, IRS doesn't treat P&G people differently. It's just simply the way the tax code works and what P&G stock has done over the ensuing decades. Now, uh, I had a client, had some clients come in who, you know, worked hard, a couple million dollars put away, and they had some debts they wanted to get rid of as they retired. On paper, they looked like they didn't have a care in the world, but all of their wealth was tied up in there. They really didn't have anything liquid in the bank. So they were really, really getting concerned about how to pay the mortgage and how are we going to bridge the gap here. When we start to take this money out, it's going to get taxed as income and so forth. So the way this worked for them, since they had so much P&G stock, P&G stock as a common stock, you, if you do the right, do this the right way, you are able to pay capital gains taxes, which for most people are going to be 15%. Some people might even be less than that, given the situation. There is a way that you can pull out a portion of that stock and pay only capital gains tax on it, not income. Lots of moving parts, but the whole point of this is to say, understand what your options are and understand how it integrates with all the other financial things you're trying to do. Because in their case, there were things that they had to avoid doing for a little while uh, so that this would work. But that, that's, again, that's the point of having a financial plan. And the name for that, and we won't go into all the mechanics of it, is net unrealized appreciation. If you work at a large company, you've got stock, depending upon how it's structured, you want to understand what net unrealized appreciation, or NUA, is. Smart people in our business know all about it. You've been listening to Simply Money. Our guest, Brian James, a certified financial planner, as we discuss that stock, that too much stock uh, in your employer that you may hold. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Backrag along with Amy Wagner. If someone at the store doesn't want to wear a mask, do you just walk away? Okay, maybe so, but... 
How about if you're on an airplane? Oh, the situations we have to deal with these days. That's just ahead at 6.53. So maybe you're no longer at your company, whether it's by choice or not by your choice. But the question then becomes, what do you do with your 401k? And I will promise you, depending upon the advisor that you talk to or the website that you go to, you may get dramatically different answers than the common sense advice we're going to give you this evening. Well, and I have two concerns about this. One is there's going to be more people that have to answer this question right now because as these PPP fund funds run dry, of course, workers in retail already struggling, hospitality, uh, a number of industries are going to face now a second round of layoffs. So there's going to be more people faced with this question at the same time that the CARES Act, which provided so much needed relief, also allows for a hardship withdrawal option from your 401k. And while I understand the need behind that, the thought behind that, that people just need to get to money at that point, we would say, like, it just made me kind of put my hands to my forehead and say, like, oh, this is the worst thing. Because, yes, there are some people out there who truly, truly need the money and who have no other option. But there's going to be a lot of people who see this now as an opportunity to tap into money that you never should tap into and to take away from your retirement. So two major concerns about people facing this question tonight when it comes to your 401k. So should you stay in your 401k plan, all right? Because if the plan features a simple menu, and, and, and the simplest menu I've ever seen, by the way, was the one by the government, um, which labels things like the common stock fund is called the C fund, okay? Mm-hmm. As if, you, could, you know, you had to be told anything more than that, just common stock, or the G fund, oh, Government securities. Oh, really? The F fund for fixed income? We couldn't get more simple than that, all right? If it's got good, straightforward, broad-based indexes, and they come with really low costs, and, you know, you don't need to be managing terribly well because you're in your 30s or your 40s, all right? Fine. Why not just leave it there? Absolutely. And so, and you have to understand you've got, you know, your major options here are, are keeping it where you are, rolling it into an IRA, cashing out, or you can always wait until hopefully you, you're rehired somewhere else soon. And then you look at the new plans options and you decide between the two. Here's the one I'm going to tell you, do not do, do not consider, not a great option for you. And it's because the government will tell you, this is the thing we want you to do. Cash out right now. Give me the money from those taxes, right? And if that's what the government wants, that should be the last thing for you. It may sound like, oh, I only have $20,000 in here. I only have $50,000 in here. Overall, what's that going to mean for my retirement? How old are you right now, right? How much can that money grow to by the time you get to retirement? So cashing out that 401k, if you're thinking about that tonight, I strongly urge you against it. Let me give you a regulatory reason, and you may never have thought of it as a regulatory issue, but those of us here in the money business do. You go and talk to an advisor, and then you say to the advisor, look, why don't you just, can I just give you my uh, user ID and password, and you just make the changes inside my 401k, because that's, uh, that would just be such a relief. That would so make it so much easier for you, right? Uh-huh. Advisors aren't allowed to do that, because unless they have a selling agreement and a, and a contractual relationship with whoever is providing that 401k com- plan, which, by the way, most advisors don't have a relationship with your employer's plan for, for fiduciary reasons, for, the, for your protection, by the way. They can't do it. And by the way, if you have an advisor who took your user ID and password and is doing it, just for the record, they're probably breaking a few rules in many cases. So that might tell you something in general. But the point is, the reason that they can't do it is the same reason why they want you to move it. 
because <clears throat> they want to get their hands on it, and then they <clears throat> then they want to get paid. And so the motivation that some advisors will have for saying to you, "Oh, you got to get, oh, come on, you got to move," and you hate the employer because the employer just laid you off, and you're going, oh, "I'm going to move my 401k." Well, maybe you shouldn't because in spite of everything, you might have a good menu. It might be something that will be very durable for you until your life gets your financial life gets more complicated as you get near retirement when you might want to consider it. And in the meantime, you let it go. You let it grow. And understand that when somebody suggests that you move it, their motivation, yeah, it could be that they can't charge a fee. They can't roll it into an equity index annuity. They can't do any of these other crazy things that we see at Allworth because you know something? And as long as that sits in the company plan, it's sort of off limits. Simply Money Point here, you can roll over, you can cash out, or you can leave your 401k when you exit a job, but work through the options with a professional who's working on your side and understand one of your options could be you don't do anything. Airlines, how are they handling the loophole in the mask-wearing rules? You're in a confined space. Somebody's not wearing a mask. How does that work out? We'll tell you just ahead in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Nathan Beckrack along with Amy Wagner. All right, you're at Kroger. Somebody's not wearing a mask. I guess you can just, you know, do a quick jog, get away from them, ask themselves later why they're inconsiderate, but because uh, they're not wearing it for their own protection. They're wearing it to protect you, but that's a broader philosophical discussion we won't get into. Now, uh, you're in an airplane, and uh, on the other side of the aisle, wheezing away is somebody without a mask. Now, are the rules any different? That's the problem, right? So, so far, six U.S. airlines have banned more than 1,000 people, 1,500 people from flying. You cannot get back on here because they have egregiously violated face mask requirements on airplanes. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there for, you know, political reasons or whatever it is are saying, I'm not comfortable with this. But if, you, if you're in an establishment that requires it, I'm not sure how you really get around it. And so those people, have, they've been saying, like, you can't get back on this Delta plane. You can't get back on this American Airlines plane. Sorry. Yeah. And by the way, of that 1,500 people, two airlines, not included, Spirit, which, you know, that's a nice size airline. But Southwest, they're a very big yeah. airline. Um, we still don't have those numbers. Uh, so that, so who is it that doesn't have to wear a mask? Department of Transportation is reviewing the guidelines, by the way. Uh, they're currently under, working under a no-exception rule. Now, I saw an interesting article about a CEO. Um, he's It's a foreign company, but he's based in uh, South, southern Pennsylvania. And he's taken 60 international flights. And he starts out with like four or five pairs of gloves. And every time he touches something, then he peels off a set of gloves until, uh, until he finally winds up at the airport in the airplane and then when he gets there he's wiping down the seat with alcohol wipes the comment that he gets most often from people is they look at him and go you know actually that's a pretty good idea you're what you're doing there yeah that that sure i mean hmm, yeah that actually works and so uh we'll just say you know under the heading of uh, better to be cautious uh, than contagious uh seems like a good idea well, and I think you like this idea, too, because you're a big soccer fan as well. Alaska kind of had Alaska Airlines has something along the lines of like what you'd see in a soccer system. You're not wearing your mask. You've got your nose hanging out. You're going to get a yellow card. 
right? You've got your warning. And if they have to come back to you again, you don't have your mask on, you're red carded. You're out of that plane. You're, you know, you're out of that game. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of airlines who are just saying, listen, we've got to, we've got to make sure that people feel safe and that, right. that people are not getting on this plane and spreading this virus. Well, listen, when you don't put the mask over your nose, guess what? This is a respiratory virus. The shortest distance between that virus and your lungs is through your nose. You're more likely to get it there than through your mouth where it will wind up in your digestive system, okay? Don't do it because we're telling you to do it. Do it because we care that you'll be around to keep listening to us, all right, and to keep uh, taking our advice. So, as they say, uh, a word of uh, 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 just take the advice and we'll go from there. Even listen. Yeah, you've been listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.